You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to. The Life Tree Community Church Podcast. Happy Mother's Day Eve to all our moms here. You know, it's always different on a Saturday night. It changes things, you know. So happy Mother's Day Eve. Uh, can we give it up for all the moms in the room? Come on. To all our mothers, we love you and pray God continues to give you everything you need to love and lead your children all the way to Jesus. Uh, for the rest of you who are not moms, uh, we can join together in honoring our moms, right? We can, we can say we're thankful for how our moms have loved us through the years. Um, and I recognize that some in the room perhaps had a mother who failed perhaps in, in her role as a mom. It's not always a pleasant day for everybody. Everybody's coming from a different context. And this may be a difficult weekend for you as everybody else is celebrating moms. And I just want to let you know God loves you and he sees you. And uh, you are shaped by your story and you're not defined by it. So just keep that in mind. I want to encourage you with that. And to those who perhaps your mom is just no longer here, um, I just ask that God's presence would be a comfort to you as you remember your mom this weekend. And for all of our ladies, whether you're a mom or not, for all our ladies at the conclusion of our service today, we've got a gift for you. So uh, see, that's what you get for coming out in a rainy, nasty Saturday evening to the Senior Center. Um, we, got, we got gifts for you all. And so please, on your way out, make sure that you, you grab one of those. We're thankful that you are here and we just want to bless you and let you know we appreciate you. Um, so the past few weeks, um, uh, and I just want to let you know right off the bat, this is not a Mother's Day message. Okay, I'm not going to preach about moms, so that's it. So, sorry, it's Saturday, I just didn't, didn't have it. So, shipwrecked moms, I was like, I don't want to, it's just too much of a stretch. I don't think it can work. So, um, we've been exploring the causes of what we're calling shipwrecked faith, of what contributes to when we have a faith, right, and then all of a sudden we find that we don't anymore, or that things are attacking it. It's not what it used to be. Um, our faith is our trust in God, right, that this sense of it's believing what we can't see, believing God is who he says he is, and it's what enables us. We equated faith to a boat, right? Like every good pirate needs a boat to get to treasure. Well, for us, we've got treasure somewhere out there in, in the world. And faith is the, the vehicle that gets us to that treasure that's beyond our grasp. We have to believe God for things and trust God for things and walk and venture into this journey of life. And we've got to get out in the waves. And uh, that there are inevitably storms that come that sink our ship, that that take our faith and just absolutely sabotage it. Um, and sometimes we experience things from the outside, from other people, things that happen that other people do that affect our faith, and we're like, uh, nope. And sometimes they're internal storms, things that it's not because of anybody else, but just things that we are wrestling with that sink our faith. Um, and my hope is that these messages will help you recognize those things that are sinking or threatening your faith, as well as learn how to rebuild what may have been damaged in the past. That's our goal with these series, is not just to talk about things and be like, oh, that's pretty, that's interesting. He's got a boat up there. There were fish before service. That's, again, if you don't know why they're fish, that's why. Shipwrecked, yeah, trying to get in the aquatic theme um, and hopefully get some more sun out there because we could use some sun. I don't like stormy weather. Anybody ready for some sun to come back? Yeah, like done with this. We got a few more days and it looks like the weather's really going to get nice, like starting next week. So excited for that. Um, so first week, if, in case you missed it, don't worry, I'll catch you up, and like, it's like the 30-second like, messages. You're like, why don't you do that every week? I know, I should, right? First, we found that God has given us all a compass, right? We all have a compass to help us navigate. It's a conscience that lets us know what's right and what's wrong. We've all got this internal 
thing, gift God has given to us. And if we violate that, if we violate what we know is right or wrong that has the potential to shipwreck our faith, when we deliberately do what we know is wrong, it has this potential to just absolutely take our faith down. And the good news is that we can rebuild our faith then simply by doing what we know is right. If violating our conscience is what sunk us, then absolutely just being responsive to that, that's what gives us this chance to kind of rise back up. And then we identified second week that the goal of faith is to be loving. The point of all of this is to love other people. But there is the potential that we can miss the point. And we can think that it's other things. We can make faith about something else. And that not only when we miss the point do we go wrong, but when others miss the point, it can also impact our own faith because they're saying faith is about this, but they're, and, and we're going, man, that's not what faith is about. And if that's what faith is about, I don't want anything to do with that. And it can shipwreck us. Um, so they say the blind leading the blind. And uh, so we rebuild again. If, if it's missing the point that is sinking us, then it's as simple as getting the point by being loving, by working to love well. Like, that's what it means, and so that's how we can begin to rebuild faith. And today I'd like to share with you, so this is week three of this, um, a 3,000-year-old story. That's an old story, like a 3,000-year-old story. Um, And there's valuable insights in here that I think will help us guard against another threat to our faith, something that's really prevalent and uh, probably timeless. Um, It's about a a man who is a military commander uh, from the nation of Aram, and his name was Naaman. Some of you may have heard his story before, um, and uh, hopefully we can draw some things out of here that are relevant for today, that are timely, that are true, and that will change us, that will help us grow. So we're going to pick this up in 2 Kings chapter 5. It's a story out of the scriptures. Um, I didn't make it up. It's not fiction, right? This is a, this is a, it's a true historical event. Um, so it'll be on the screen behind me so you can read along. And uh, here we go. It says this, the king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. Now, leprosy is, uh, back then, it could have meant many things. is essentially a skin disease, some sort of uh, skin struggle that he had. We don't know specifically if it was what we would come, you know, know today as leprosy. Like, he he was in the king's presence, so it probably wasn't contagious, so it probably wasn't what we think of Leprosy, as you know, these colonies, people can't touch anybody. It was something else, but some sort of disease. Um, And it's interesting because Naaman is a very powerful person, commander of the army, you know, friends with the king, and he's got a problem that he can't fix. And I think it just is a good note that doesn't matter how powerful you are, there's some suffering you can't avoid. No matter who you are, you can't escape that. And so verse 2, it says this, At this time, Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel, and among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. So just think about this. These people had invaded Israel, okay? Um, They were enemies of Israel. Israel Most of the Bible is about Israel, the chosen people of God. This is a nation outside of that that are attacking Israel. They're the bad guys in this story. In this grand story, they're supposed to be the bad guys. Um, And, I mean... They did something really bad. They took this young girl from her family and they made her a, like a slave, essentially, a servant in, in Naaman's home. He was serving her wife, his wife. And so on, on, in verse 3, it says this, One day the girl said to her mistress, 
I wish my master would go to see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. So think, this girl had either been taken from her parents, right? Or they might have even killed her parents. It's possible, right, in the raid. Um, Yet here she is, like, showing compassion for her master, right? So let me ask you, if you were a child taken from your parents, now serving as a slave for those who attacked you, how would you feel about them? Would you feel compassion for them? Would you be like, oh, I really wish, you know, I'd say I wish, I know what I'd wish. <laughs> I, don't, I shouldn't finish that, right? Um, it's extraordinary compassion that we're seeing here. And not only that, she maintained this understanding of God's power because it's really interesting. The reason that God allowed the nation of Aram to attack Israel, right? The reason, because these are God's favored people. Why, why is Aram attacking them? Well, it's because Israel was not following God. They were, they were, they were violating all the things of God. They were, they were, they were rejecting God. Israel wasn't being, they were violating the covenant. They weren't, they weren't honoring God in any way. Okay, so think about this. This girl is growing up in a nation that isn't really honoring God. That's why they're getting attacked. That's why this is happening. But somehow, she must have been raised right. Because she's still got this awareness that there's a God in heaven who can heal. That he's real and that he's got solutions for people. Even people that attacked us, she has compassion. This girl is not normal. Okay? It's extraordinary what we're finding here. So verse 4, it says this. So Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. So the commander of the army goes to the king and says, I found a solution to my problem. It's in a little girl. This little girl who I took from the people that we attacked, she wants to help me. Like, can you imagine that conversation? He's talking to a king saying, I feel like this, this girl who, yeah, we, my slave girl, yeah, she wants to help me. It's just, it's, it's I mean, this story is, out, is just incredible. Verse 5, go and visit the prophet, the king tells him. Go visit. All right, go ahead. Sure. Hey, go for it. What you got to lose? He says, and listen, I'll send a letter of introduction for you and to take the king of Israel. So Naaman started out carrying his gifts, 750 pounds of silver. It's a lot. 150 pounds of gold and 10 sets of clothing. That's what most of you have in your second closet, right? Um, the, the letter to the king of Israel said, with this letter, I present my servant Naaman. He's writing this, remember, one king, the king who had been attacking, sends to this other king, right? So Israel, not the king there is not honoring God. The king's being attacked. Life's not good. And he gets this letter from the king and he says, I want you to heal him of his leprosy. You ever play telephone? Like, and, you know, like, and it's like, that's not the message. No, 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 that, that's not exactly what I said to say. Well, that's what the king says. And something got lost in translation. And you can imagine how the king of Israel heard this. Verse 7, we find out. He says, when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, this man sends me a leper to heal? Am I God that I can give life and take it away? Why is this man asking me to heal someone with leprosy? He's clearly just trying to pick a fight with me. Right? He's the, king, the king's response. Listen, understandable? Yes? Like if somebody writes you a letter and is like, hey, I want you to heal this person. Uh, the, the king's being asked to do something he's got no power to accomplish. He cannot do this. Me? You're asking me? Am I God? Come on. Have you ever felt like you've been asked to do God's job for him? Ever been put in that position maybe? It's on you to provide for your family. Or it's on you to fix somebody. Or it's on you to rescue some, someone. 
Or it's on you to change a circumstance. See? Like it's, we can understand it's heavy for us. And when you feel like you've been put in a position where you've got to do something that's too big for you, you know what happens often? Just like the king, we get angry. It's not fair. You can't ask me to do that. How could they possibly ask, am I God? Me? You're asking me to do this? And the king is, I mean, that's exactly where the king is right now. I, I can't do this. Like, this guy's picking a fight with me. He just wants to give me a, you know, this is, this is terrible. And it never occurred to the king to call on Elisha, the prophet. But here's the thing. If the little girl who lived in the nation knew about the prophet Elisha, you can guarantee the king knew. The king knew about Elisha. It just wasn't in his mind. He didn't think about him. He didn't think to ask for help. Just pause on that. Verse 8 says this, But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent this message to him. What's your problem? Chill out. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me, and he will learn that there's a true prophet in Israel. He basically says, bro, chill. Seriously. Send him to me. Elisha does not have magic power to heal. He doesn't have any more power to heal than the king. No more power than the little girl. No more power than all the armies, uh, all the, uh, the commander was overseeing. There was nothing like that. Elijah didn't have power, but he knew this was a job for God. He was clear. So, verse 9, Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. Finally, he's made this journey. His little girl told him, goes to the king. The king's like, finally, all right, Elisha, we're here. I'm at, I'm at Elisha's door. Verse 10, but Elisha sends out a messenger with this message. Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of this leprosy. Now, just think about this. This is the second in command in a powerful nation. Got lots of soldiers under him. He's here because his servant girl told him to do this. He comes all this way, brings all these gifts. He's at the guy's door and he won't even come out to see him. He sends a messenger, a servant, another servant. This is highly offensive. And it's interesting to me that Naaman is on this journey because a servant girl prompted him. And now he's being given directions by yet another servant. It's a powerful man, proud man. And for some reason, he has to keep listening to servants. <laughs> I mean, you, he's struggling with it. Naaman is really struggling. Proud guy, really struggling with Hearing all these things from servants. I mean, he's above this. We can see it. Verse 11. Naaman becomes angry and stalked away. I thought he, meaning Elisha, would certainly come out to meet me. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. Elisha was going to do this. And then he says, listen, not only that, aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Abana and the, yeah, I don't know, Farpar? Better than all the rivers of Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turns away in a rage. Now listen to this. But his officers, the text actually says his servants, more servants here, more servants, tried to reason with him and say, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should obey him when he simply says, Go and wash and be cured. Once again, who does Naaman have to listen to? Servants. 
soldiers, the very people he gives orders to. He's got to listen to them. Verse 14, wrapping up the story. Here we go. Coming to the conclusion here. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times. Not once, not twice, seven times. As the man of God had instructed him, and his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child. And he was healed. Just imagine being there that day and going to the water. Stupid. Go in a stinking river. Fine. Go in all the way under, sir. All the way. Ah. Right down. Better? Nothing. Do it again. He said, oh, down. Better? No. Two. Three. This is ridiculous. This is humiliating. This is a joke. They're mocking me. They're adding insult to my injury. You can be in the mind of Naaman, the proud military commander. He, he's a conqueror. And he's dipping in this dirty river. Every dip beneath those waters was an act of submission of humility. It was an act of obedience. Every time he's going down, he is drowning his pride. And he's having to come up and discover humility every single time. And here's the thing. A transformation took place in that day. A prideful, sick man becomes a humble, healthy man. He showed up prideful and sick. And he comes up changed. Verse 15, then Naaman and his entire party went back to find the man of God. They stood before him and Naaman says these words, now I know. Now I know. I didn't then. I didn't understand back then on the other side. I didn't have any idea. But now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. He came as a prideful skeptic. And now he's a humble believer. He said, I have learned today for myself that God is real. Today I learned this. So here's some takeaways from the story for me. Hopefully they help you. Some takeaways. First, the hero of the story isn't Elisha. It's not Naaman. It's not the kings. The hero of the story is the little girl. Without that little girl, the one taken from her parents, the one thrust into servanthood in a foreign land. Without that little girl, Naaman probably suffers with this disease until he dies. Without that little girl, none of this happens. We don't even have a name for her. Just a little servant girl. How easy it would have been to ignore her. Naaman is a powerful commander, close with the king. Yet in his need, remember he's got a problem he can't fix no might, no amount of soldiers could fix this. And in that moment, he had to humble himself to even listen to this little girl. Had to humble himself to receive his healing. He had to listen to her. He had to ask for help from the king. He had to endure the perceived disrespect of Elisha. He had to hear his servant's advice. He had to dip in the river, not once, not twice, not three, seven times. He battled pride at every turn. I know how this is supposed to go. I deserve better than this. Don't you know who I am? I shouldn't have to endure this. And pride is whispering in his near Naaman, you're better than this. You don't have to listen to those servants. You're better than this. And that same pride would have left him sick and in his disease until the day he died. Pride is a timeless quality that threatens to shipwreck our faith. 
because we all continue to deal with pride right here, right now, 2022, Robbinsville, New Jersey. If you're here listening online, wherever you're listening, pride is timeless. King Solomon, one of the wisest men ever, said this about pride. So much in the Proverbs about, about pride. And he says this, pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Pride goes before destruction, right? Haughtiness before the fall. Pride comes and then you fall. Proverbs 29, pride ends in humiliation while humility brings honor. There is a scene in a TV show. It's a really serious show called Parks and Rec. If any of you have ever seen it, um, that perfectly captures what pride sounds like. The director in, uh, the, of the parks department, his name is Ron Swanson. He's got a wonderful mustache, if you've ever seen him. Um, and he's a very uh, gruff but handy guy. Like, he knows his way around tools. And actually, the actor himself is really, really good uh, in real life with, with woodworking. He's, he's got this. And he's walking through Lowe's. And an employee says, hi, is there a, a project you're working on? And he says this, I know more than you. <laughs> like we were in Lowe's today. We went and actually asked somebody for some help today. We didn't understand. But he walks into Lowe's. And the guy goes, hi, is there anything you're working on? I know more than you. <laughs> it's a great scene. It's funny because it's, it can be true, right? Uh, aren't there times where you've said that to people or wanted to say that to people? Right, you're somewhere and somebody's trying to tell you something and you want to go, oh, bless your heart. I know more than you. <laughs> right? Like, oh, goodness. You may have even said that today. I don't know. Where, you know some of you, but we have this, but that's the sound of pride. I know more than you. And sometimes we can have that same posture with God. I mean, that song that we sang at the end that Felicity sang, it couldn't have been more appropriate for this message because that's the song, I know more than you, God. As we go through our day, our compass can tell us what is right. We know that our goal is to be more loving, but there is this pride inside us that simply wants to do something else because I know better. I want to do it my way. I don't want to listen to little girls. I don't want to listen to my servants. I just want to do it my way. Pride will inevitably shipwreck our faith if we think we know better than God. There are days you feel like, you know what, God, I would write this story differently if I were you. I wouldn't do it this way, God. Haven't you had days where you want to tell God how things should turn out? God, let me tell you how this should end. Because I'm telling you, I've figured this out. I've already worked it out. I've been spending a lot of time thinking about this, God. Figured it all out. There are times when we walk through pain and suffering that we think is unnecessary. And it can cause us to distrust God. And what happens is that as we begin to think we know better, our boat just begins to sink. Little by little by little. Every time we come to another wave, God, I know better. And it just goes lower and lower. And it's taken on water. And we've got other solutions and other things that this is supposed to happen. And we are drowning. What Naaman's story tells us is that when we feel like we know better than God, never forget that He knows better than you do. He's doing so much more than you could ask for. What did Naaman really want? He wanted one thing. He wanted to be healed. That's it. Fix me, God. Fix this situation. 
take this stuff. I'm not asking for anything else, God. I'm keeping it really simple, God. One small thing. Can't you do just this one thing? It's all I want from you, God. I want one thing. Do this. I know better. This is all I need. Do this one thing and everything will be okay. But God goes, oh, Naaman, I've got so much more for you. And I've got so much more for everybody else around you, too. See, God healed Naaman's body, didn't he? So that got done. But you know what else happened in this story? He healed Naaman's soul, his being, right? He healed his ego, first of all, right? He now becomes prideful to humble. He heals his soul. Naaman finds God. He builds a relationship with God. This is somebody outside the kingdom of Israel, and God's letting us know, hey, I'm here for everybody. So Naaman walks away not just healed, but changed, having a relationship with the living God. Not only that, God answers an orphan girl's prayer. He honors her compassion and faith. How do you think that girl felt when Naaman walked back in the door? And he goes, hey, little girl, come here. I want look, at, look at me. Look at me. This is you. You did this for me. How do you think she felt? Do you think she felt heard by God? And do you think that their relationship changed? You think that this commander and master, you think that they treated this girl a little differently now? See, God wasn't just concerned about Naaman. He began to start saying, hey, listen, I got so much more for others here. He dignified Naaman's servants. People often overlooked, you're just a servant, just do what I say. But now these servants are the ones who encouraged him. They, they now have dignity. They now have honor. God exposed the foolishness of Israel's king. He reminded, he, he's, listen, that king may have never honored God, but he now knows. Elisha says, what's your problem, king? God was at least saying, hey, wake up. I'm right here. I'm supposed to be your God, king. I've got solutions for you. They're right here. And you're not, it's God saying, I've got compassion. Even on those who should know better, I'm still trying. Not only that, God strengthened Elisha and his role as prophet. This wasn't about Elisha at all. He kept Elisha pure. Elisha didn't come out saying, hey, look at me. I'm going to wave my hands like this and heal you. Elisha says, I'm not even going to come out. I'm going to send a servant to prove it's not me. It's God. So it just further strengthened Elisha's calling as a prophet. Naaman just wanted his skin disease God. God had so much more. So much more. And here's the thing. You may want God to just do one thing. Just do this one thing. Because you know better than God. And let me encourage you. Let me remind you. Let me tell you. God knows exactly what he's doing. And he's got more in store and more in mind than you or I have any idea about. So. So what? So what? Favorite part in the message. So what? So how do we guard against pride? And how do we open the door for God to rebuild our faith? Because there have been so many times where we live here in this sense of I know better. If your pride has sunk your faith, here's the best news, right? If pride is what sank it, humility is what can raise it. It's that simple thing. It starts with listening. Ready? Here's your big application for the week. It starts with listening to little girls <laughs> and the servants in your life. Let all kinds of people speak into your life. Assume a posture of humble teachability. 
so many times, the older we get, the more arrogant, the more closed-minded. It's hard to teach an old dog new tricks, right? Refuse to overlook those who don't fit our cultural definition of powerful. We take master classes to learn from the best and the brightest. And sometimes what God wants to do in us, he's planted in the people we walk by every single day. Sometimes God uses little people to do big things. And when I say little, I don't mean little <laughs> in value. Simply little in the eyes of our society. Sometimes God uses little people to do big things. And sometimes those people are little in their own eyes. Not the people who think of themselves as, you know, hey, I've got so much to offer you. <laughs> those who do not have an inflated view of self. There may be things in your life God wants to heal, and he intends to use people that you would never have expected. Maybe they've already said things to you or suggested things to you, and you can't hear it because you're waiting on somebody else to tell you how to get it right. There may be parts of your faith that are in shambles. And God intends to use someone you think has nothing to offer you. 1 Corinthians 1.27. I'm not making this up. This is in the Bible. Ready? God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And He chose the things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world. Things counted as nothing at all. And use them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. This week, I just encourage you, would you consider the possibility? Would you consider the possibility that everyone around you has the potential for God to use them to help you receive his good for you? And that you have the potential perhaps to even be used by God to be a blessing to them. See, because when we do that, we invite God to heal everything, to do all the things that he wants to do. As long as we're saying, God, I just want you to do this one thing, we are holding back all the other stuff God wants to do. But if we will invite God, say, God, keep me open. Help me be humble and not prideful. Faith can begin to grow again, can begin to rise up. And when that happens, transformation can begin to take place. I walked in sick and prideful, and I'm leaving healthy and humble. It's how God does it. And not just for us, but for all those around us. You may be here, and maybe you have a lot of power. Maybe you feel pretty competent. You feel pretty strong, pretty sure about yourself, and yet you face a challenge for which you have no solution going to guess that almost everybody in this room, you have something, everybody listening, you've got something that you don't have an answer for. God is inviting you to trust him, to be humble, to submit yourself, to say, okay, if you ask me to dip in the river seven times, I'll dip in the river seven times. You don't know better than God. He knows exactly what he's doing. Pride will sink your ship. Humility will raise it. Then we get to join all those who say, now I know. Now I know. Now I know for myself. There's no God. 
like our God. I'm going to close with communion. We've got communion elements. If you didn't receive communion elements when you came in, uh, just raise your hand or ushers will make sure you get that. And we have open communion here, which means you don't have to be a member of Life Tree. If you have a personal relationship with Jesus, you are welcome to join with us. It's one big family, all of us. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And uh, we've got some communion here for all of us. We regularly receive communion in obedience to the command of Jesus. And I think it's a great opportunity for us to put this message into practice. Communion is a great opportunity for us to do this because we're reminded that Jesus did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. He fixed our problem and then went above and beyond and did so much more. (laughs) Jesus healed not only our relationship with God, which was the primary thing we'd say we needed. God, I, I'm wrong. Right? He made us right with God, but he didn't just do that. He also gave us peace for the journey. And he gave us hope for tomorrow. And he added to it joy that defies our circumstances and, and love beyond what's natural for others. See, in celebrating communion, we remind ourselves who we are and who he is. It's the ultimate act of humility. In communion, there's no room for pride. It's the habit, the fundamental habit. That's why we do this regularly. Once a month we do this because it constantly reminds us we're not God. And he is. (laughs) And that's great news. See, the bread, it represents his body. That Jesus himself modeled the greatest measure of humility. He refused to hold on to his rights as the son of God and took on the humble form of a man. Listen, Jesus wouldn't even have written his story the way God wrote it. We know this. He prayed in the garden, right? Father, if possible, can you do this a different way? Not really a fan of this whole dying thing on a cross. <laughs> could, you, could you take this and just do it different? But he submitted it all to God's wisdom and said, God, even I don't know. Jesus said, even I don't know better than you. So not my will, but yours be done. And he submitted it all. We have a humble God. And then the cup, it represents his his blood, sacrifice that he made for us. And here's the beautiful thing, ready? Jesus died for everyone. From the least to the greatest, from orphaned captive girls to commanders and kings, God sees us all as valuable. His sacrifice made no distinction. He didn't say, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die for the, the special people. I'm going to die for the really holy people. I'm going to die for the powerful, the smart, the beautiful. No, God says, I'm going to die for everybody. This reminds us the gospel is for everybody. His sacrifice made no distinction, but declares that, guess what? Everybody, no matter how big, how small, how old, how young, you all need grace. We all need grace grace. We all had a problem that he's the only one that can fix. So would you just take a moment and pray with me? I just encourage you in this moment, before we share communion together, would you just search your heart and say, God, what are you speaking to me right now in this moment? I'll give you just a, just a few moments to just listen and let God speak to you right now where you are in a way that you'll understand. I'll pray that God will do that. Would you just let God speak to you about humility, about pride, 
and about your faith. Jesus, would you speak to us? this bread in our hands as a symbol of your humility. If you refuse to demand your rights, you refuse to write the story, then forgive us, please, for our pride, for demanding that you do it our way, for the times we think we know better. And God, please help us to be humble, to trust you, to rebuild our faith on your wisdom, Thank you for being our healer. A God that heals so much more than we even know needed to be healed. Thank you for what this bread represents. It's in your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Let's eat together. Take the cup and let's pray. Jesus, this cup represents your sacrifice for us, for all of us, God. You don't see us as great. You don't see us as lowly. God, you see us as beloved. We are all your sons and daughters. God, not only did you die for all of us, but you have planted significance in all of us. No matter what we look like to the world around us, you call us worthy. You call us valuable. Please forgive us for misjudging others for misjudging ourselves. May we live this week with the awareness that every life is valuable. And may we honor your sacrifice for all of us by listening to and honoring those around us. We never know who you might be using to bring about your healing in this world. Whoever it might be, it's always you behind it. May we never forget that. You are the author of our healing. It's in your good name we pray. Amen. Let's try.